Fantasy Island. Won't be seen tonight, so we can bring you a very special episode of The Gen X Files. Welcome to Gen X Files. I'm Jim. I'm Adam. And today's show is all about explorers. F you explorers. Okay, here's the deal. Okay. Well, can you ex- at least explain <laughs> before? Yes. I'm sorry. Very. Uh, I have a lot of um, not mixed emotions. A lot no. Of very, no mixed. Uh, nothing mixed about this. Very strong emotions. So last month, yeah, it was a love fest. It was, it was our first loves because it's the month of love. We yeah. had an extra day of love. We did talking about things we love. Well, you know what? That's over. Because <laughs> now it's time for some hate. It's Haterade, baby. It's, it's Haterade month. Uh, we're going to be exploring the movies, uh, no pun intended, no. that we just did not like growing up. No. Uh, we had uh, we each have two movies this yes. month. Uh, Jim's first movie is Explorers, which I got to be <laughs> it's really funny. I know I saw it before. I know I watched it a lot because it didn't do well at the box office, and it was on Cinemax or whatever like mm-hmm. every day. Yes. I literally blocked out the entire third act. Explorers was one of the first movies that viscerally angered me <laughs> to the point where, to this day, 30-something oh, yeah. years yeah. later, I'm still pissed off about that movie. It was so funny because last week as we were preparing to, to start watching this, Jim was like, I don't know, maybe. Maybe, like, maybe it's not as bad as I thought. And oh. the second it started... Oh, F this. F this movie. Okay. Here's the deal, okay? The reason why I hate it so much is it is such a great concept. It The first two acts are pretty good. Yeah. I mean, they could have been a lot more developed. But, it's, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's such a cool story of these kids dreaming about building a spaceship. Right. And then building a spaceship. The third act of this movie <laughs> is the worst third act of any movie ever made. Yes. Yes. And it takes a turn that is so off-putting, that is so ridiculously uh, just out of a different it's a, movie it's, genre. It's a completely whatever you, different movie, yeah. And it is, it is bombastically and relentlessly annoying <laughs> and awful. <laughs> and, and just like you go through this journey with these kids – and then this is where we're going? Now, yeah, at the end, yeah. Adam and I will tell you what we think would make yes, The yes. Explorers a good there, movie. Well, there, there was a reason, uh, and, and, I, and I, I don't want to place blame on the actors. I don't want to place Most blame on the directors, the director. The, the writer is pretty at fault. But really, this is a perfect example of why studio executives should not be involved in the creative process. Hey, guys. Yeah, all right. I'm going to be popping up a lot. You get one time. (laughs) I'm just going to warn you. I'm going to be dangling around the uh, edges of this show a few times. I'm going to run down and give your kids some popcorn while they wait in the car. One of them's allergic to something. I don't know (laughs) what it is. (laughs) I guess we'll find out. Whatever, Bob. Snack roulette. Keep in your pants, Bob. Um, Oh, my God. It is... Look, it's Joe Dante, man. It's Joe Dante. I mean, at the end of the day. And three really good... Well, two, two really good, really good actors. <laughs> young actors. This is also, uh, those of you constant listeners, know that uh, I have a lifelong uh, disdain, yeah. I guess, yeah. for Ethan Hawke. Until recently. Uh, Ethan Hawke has come around, and I, I, I now enjoy Ethan Hawke, <laughs> which I never thought I'd ever say. But if you... 
have seen this movie, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. His performance is just... I just see the direct... I just see Dante sitting there, like, after every take, going... Ethan, could you just tone it down a little bit? Just a little bit. Could you possibly take my notes? Sit still, Ethan. (laughs) Quit being so distracting. You're Uh, not acting like a real boy. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, anyway, it's, it's, we'll get into it. It's interesting. It's interesting. There's Uh, so much emotion in me right now. You're, there's so many things about Ethan Hawke that I don't think you realize that you're going to hate so much. No, there's a lot that I, it's, look. It's not just me. Ethan Hawke did a pretty damn good job as a young man being very hateable and doing very hateable things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I... I, I, I anyway. We'll get into yes. it anyway. <laughs> I, I don't just, even know how to respond to that. So we're starting Hate Month with yeah. one of the most hateable movies. Uh, uh, yeah, just a little preview of what we've got coming up the rest of the month. Uh, next week we're going to be doing Highlander, which is my first hate hate. Haterade. Yeah. Uh, hate, hate, haterade. <laughs> hate, hate, haterade. Uh, because Highlander is the stupidest movie ever made. We'll see. Uh, yeah, it is. Um, and then uh, after that, we'll be doing uh, the Transformers, the movie, the anime movie from 1986. Autobots, make a boring film. Which I, yeah, the whole thing is I, I saw it when I was young and I really liked it. And then I watched it again in college. Not even eight years later. And it was the most boring thing I've ever seen. That is super heartbreaking to me. When you watch something that you loved as a kid, yeah. and in, and it doesn't hold up, and then you don't oh. like it anymore, yeah. like when the nostalgia factor isn't <laughs> it's strong just, enough, it's just not. But who knows? Again, I'm leaving an open mind because it might be better than I remember. That's the thing is we're leaving open minds, right? Like, <laughs> Try, and the trying. fourth one is Clerks. Clerks, which yeah. I know I'm in the minority on that. But when that came out, I hated it because I thought it was just really bad acting in a two shot. I mean, it is, and uh, <laughs> it is with a mildly clever script. That was too cute by half. But everything you're saying is true. We'll see. Maybe I'll love it again. I because, still love that movie. But I, I, I have become a fan of uh, Kevin Smith, Kevin Smith uh, yeah. since then. And, and, and I really enjoy a lot of his movies. Not all of them. But, uh, but no, I enjoy no. him for who he is, too. And yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I think he's an interesting cat. But I'm curious. I'm really curious to see that one. But this one, <sighs> Explorers. Yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ, man. Yeah, it's just it, – it, it, it's one of those things that even re-watching it yesterday, I was like, why? Why in the world did this go here? I mean, they even to the point with the third act where it was like they forgot which character was which character. Yeah. All the kids started acting completely different oh, yeah. from the rest of the movie. And they never knew really what to do with Jason Presson. No, which is too bad because he's such, such a good, good actor. actor. If you want to see Jason Presson in an, a good movie, yeah, uh, watch The Stone – Boy. Stone Boy, yeah. It's an yeah. adaptation of a really good short story. Robert Duvall is in it. Yeah. And it's a really it's a really good movie. I really liked him in The Lady in White. That oh, was, yeah, yeah. Uh, with, uh, um, oh, God, the little short kid. I can't remember his name. Anyway, he's in, he's, I'll, we'll get to him eventually. Okay. But The, the Lady in White was another one that was on all the time when yeah. I was young. And I loved that movie. Yeah. He was a good actor. And this killed, his, killed him. It, he well, didn't kill no. him, literally. But he was smart enough to realize he did not want to be involved in Hollywood anymore. Nope. <laughs> It's, it's just oh okay. Anyway, let's get and into it. It literally killed River Phoenix. It did. I mean, the, yeah. it was delayed post traumatic stress yeah. disorder. It was definitely a factor. That's for sure. All right. Well, let's do it. Let's get into it. Let's get into this 
bastardization. Take yourself back to 1985. Ooh. Uh, January 7th, the Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency launches Sakakagi, Japan's first interplanetary spacecraft and the first deep space probe to be launched by any country other than the United States or the Soviet Union. Pretty cool. Yeah, and as far as I know, the Sakakagi is still out there flying through space. Can I just mention something really quick? Yeah. It is so depressing that we landed on the moon again a yeah. few days ago, and nobody gives an ass. I did. I well, mean, I, I mean, watched it. I get it. I did, too. But, you know, I mean, you and it's I are very... Not, it's just not... People not exemplary They've of, had 50 years of people going, well, NASA's bloated and stupid, and so why are we using it? We also had 50 years of people saying, nobody ever landed on the moon. It's a hoax. Uh, well, yeah, NASA's whatever. just a government agency to round us up and put us yeah. in camps. FEMA camps. I mean, it's pretty bad that NASA now has to rely on private companies to do the work that they should be doing So themselves. depressing. So depressing. Yeah. Uh, my great uncle is turning in his grave, yeah. Sam Rayburn, who yeah. came, Come up with he kept kept he helped develop NASA. Nice. June twenty fourth, uh, STS fifty one G, the space shuttle Discovery, completes its mission. Best remembered for having Sultan bin Salman al Saud, the first Arab and first Muslim in space, as a payload specialist. Yes, and then they discovered that the SD the SG Stargate, and they were able to go through and go to like a a weird. Uh, Egyptian-style planet. Something else about the moon thing that it just occurred to me is that the whole point of them landing that thing there was that it's being landed by where there's supposedly ice water right. on the moon. Didn't realize there was ice water on the moon. Yeah. This is how much the media does not care about the, the space. Like I said, it's extremely depressing. Yeah. And, and they want to, you know, they're also starting to... Map out where they're going to put a base to well, they, launch yeah, the they, mission to Mars. It's so funny because they're like, yeah, the water, the water on the moon. They'll be able to use it for drinking or to create rocket fuel. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, well, they're going to make rocket fuel. Yeah, <laughs> like that's, yeah. Well, somebody has to – got to keep the people hydrated while they're making well, rocket fuel. And the thing is, is that they're just using it as a way to be able to get to Mars faster. Which is it, – it's, it's smart because there's obviously less gravity up there and takes less fuel and yeah. It's one of the uh, plot points of For All Mankind. Is oh, my God. If we had just done this in the 70s, it would have been fine. We would have been – I would be, we'd be broadcasting from the moon, the moon or Mars right now. Yeah. Another uh, Ronald Reagan. <laughs> Great decision. Yeah. We, we got to make sure we shoot those bombs out of space. Well, I just don't know. July 3rd, Back to the Future is released in theaters, gaining almost $15 million in box office over the extended holiday weekend. Just had to put that dig in there. Good movie uh, right before this one, huh? Yeah, well, it was a factor <laughs> with Explorers. Marty, uh, next week there's going to be a horrible movie released. We have to go back to the future and stop them. There wasn't a lot of space stuff happening right before July 12th, <laughs> so I had to include something. Uh, and then July 12th, Explorers is released in theaters, uh, and, and then it went away very quickly. Yes, I saw it in the theater. Wow, you were one of the, like, 50 people. I was, because the ads were pretty cool. Joe Dante, space it's a, stuff. It's a great concept. Yeah. It's a great and they, concept. they did not market the third act at all in that <laughs> in, in the marketing materials. Of course they didn't. I mean, wow. who, who would go if it had big rubbery aliens in it? So wow, sneaky. So weird. So Explorers was written by Eric Luke, who was born in 1956 in Palo Alto, California. Ugh. He attended the UCLA Film School and was the winner of the UCLA, UCLA Film School Jim Morrison Film Award in 1978. Far out, man. I know. It, uh, number one, did not realize that Jim Morrison was an avid filmmaker. Oh, yeah. That's I where no he idea. met uh, uh, Manzarek. I mean, Ray Manzarek. Ray Manzarek. Who played the... Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, but that's where they met, was in film school. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I literally don't know anything about Jim Morrison. Making a so. lot of tortured black and white films. Like we all did back in film school. <laughs> yeah, he uh, graduated in 1968. Uh, other winners of the Jim Morrison Film Award include David Silverman, who worked on The Simpsons and directed The Simpsons movie. Good guy. Uh, and uh, Adam Brody, who starred in The O.C., Okay. And I don't even know if he's still acting now. So this is like the, the, the highs and the <laughs> Those lows. Those are the two people I knew on the list. <laughs> right. So I, I guess like the height would be David Silverman. Right. The low would be uh, Eric Luke. And then somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Adam Brody. Somewhere is Adam middle. Brody. Because yeah. he's inoffensive. Yeah. Yeah. A rumor persists that the script for Explorers had been circulating Hollywood offices for years before it was made, and that it was bought by the studio because of a scene of... Children flying through the sky on bicycles. Appealed to Steven Spielberg for his film E.T. the Extraterrestrial. What? What'll happen is that they, you know, you submit screenplays to studios. Yes. Somebody will read them. There'll be official acknowledgement of the fact that they've read it. Right. And then... If somebody else has an idea for a movie and they're like, well, we read this in another movie, they'll buy that script to make sure that the writer doesn't sue them. Right. At some point, Explorers had something similar to kids on bicycles flying through the air. So they just bought it to shelve it? They Essentially. So Spielberg <laughs> yes. could... They essentially bought it so that Spielberg could make E.T. and then not get sued for that scene. And then one night, Joe Dante, <laughs> drunk off his ass at Spielberg's no. house, opened up a drawer. Was, was this script about? It just shows you how this movie should not have been made. (laughs) No. It's so annoying. The film was originally to be directed by Wolfgang Peterson, having initially impressed Paramount executives with his family-targeted The NeverEnding Story, released in 1984. NeverEnding Story. Which I, for some reason, never realized that Wolfgang Peterson directed that. I didn't either. And that explains a lot about that movie. (laughs) That's why it's so dark. (laughs) Uh, Peterson wanted to film it in his native home of Germany, uh, the studio decided to settle in the States with an American director, and Peterson was not long after commissioned by 20th Century Fox to take over the production of Enemy Mine, starring Dennis Quaid and Louis Gossett Jr., which was released in 1985. Another really good movie. A good sci-fi movie. Another Enemy Mine was another one that was on TV all the time when I was growing up, and Louis Gossett Jr. and, and Dennis Quaid were so good in that movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was so... It was so imaginative to my young brain. I was, it, was, it was cool. Hold on. You having my baby? Yeah. <laughs> baby. It was, it was so good. Such it good was movie. great. We'll cover it at some point. It's just making me depressed that we're covering this movie. I know. Uh, this, this, hey, the Haterade was our idea. Well, here's what's funny. <laughs> After 100, almost 170 episodes, yeah. we've never actively covered something that we don't like. We've covered a couple of things that I, I that, don't like. You don't like and something that I maybe something yeah. that I haven't liked, but never something that we actively right. don't like. Right. So I'm curious to see how this show goes. Yeah, well here's see how the whole month goes. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, there may be some twists and turns and surprises. That's true. That's true. I hope so. This isn't one of them. No, it is not. There are no twists or turns or surprises. This movie is garbage. Well, the only surprise is that this movie was made. <laughs> That's it. And but I mean, so River Phoenix, man. I I know, I know. I'm just saying is that it was okay. Anyway, when let's we get let's to it. it. We'll I, get to it. I'll tell you who I feel the the worst for about this movie when we get to it. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you. The studio turned to director Joe Dante, just coming off the success of Gremlins. Dante had become a wanted commodity in Hollywood, being able to pass on projects if he wanted to. Uh, Dante liked what he read, but did not feel there was a third act. At the end, when the kids went to the planet, they go and play baseball. That was the plot. Seemed like it wasn't quite enough. Yeah. I mean, so from the get-go, the movie had third-act problems. I would have enjoyed watching the kids play spaceball 
more than what I saw for the third act. I think I think they just over thirty minutes of playing Fine. baseball. Make it a you know a, a, what's that? Turn it into the Sandlot in space. Yeah, either the Sandlot in space or a Space Jam, or yeah, even oh, like Field like of Dreams. A, if you want to go nostalgia, it becomes like Bad News Bears in space. Yeah, and they're like, just trying to get the aliens together yeah. to win the game. Jason Preston's crappy alcoholic <laughs> father comes out and throws a ball with him. I don't know. All of these are much better than what actually got filmed. Uh. <sighs> While discussing the script with Paramount executives, they said, We can work on it while we're making the picture. There you go. Uh, Dante and the writer Eric Luke were... Improvising what they were going to do. While the film was being made. That's not a good sign. Never a good sign. Especially, if yeah. One thing I've learned from this show <laughs> is that if you're still writing when, this, when the script is happening, very unlikely the movie's going to be good. Yes. I'm, it is. There's probably a, an exception that proves the rule. One exception to the rule, Die Hard. Yeah, there you go. That's it. Everybody else, just don't. Just get the script done beforehand. Yeah. yeah. No, you're not diehard. <laughs> All right. So uh, literally, it was just a bad idea to make this movie. So they moved on to casting. <laughs> what the hell? Joe Dante? I mean, he's made some weird choices. But maybe maybe he thought that he could he could save it. Or like, I, I think like you, those first two acts were so good that he yeah. was like, we'll have something. Well, there probably was more depth to the story. More with Dick Miller's character. More with the families of the kids. Yeah, or there was definitely a lot of stuff cut out. Uh, and and we'll, we'll get to it eventually. But like, there was definitely a lot more to the kids' stories. We never met any of Jason Preston's family. No, which is odd because they really hinted the fact that he has a weird alcoholic father. We heard him. That, that is, yeah. We only saw Ethan Hawke's mom. We didn't see the dad. Yeah, yeah. And, and then parents were together. And I would have loved to have seen a lot more of Jamie Cromwell yes. and Dana Ivey. Like, yeah. they were, that whole family was so interesting. Yes, they were very, yes. And, and I, James Cromwell, Jamie Cromwell is always... Yeah. He's always amazing, especially when he's doing a really bad German accent. Bad German accent. <laughs> so they cast Ethan Hawke as uh, Benjamin Ben Crandall. Boo. Yeah. Boo, boo. Uh, Hawke obtained his mother's permission to attend his first casting call at the age of 14, which was for Explorers, making the movie his film debut. Ugh, if they, we could have only have stopped him then. If they hadn't have made the movie. <laughs> you know his mom was just like, fine, just get out of the house, Ethan. <laughs> You're just so annoying. Whatever. Just you, is it filming on location? You've run, run the carpet ragged by not stopping moving. Mommy, 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 my mom, my mom, me, mommy. Uh, due to the box office failure of Explorers, Hawk actually quit acting for a while. He was it was like two or three years, what right? if, or maybe even longer than that, four years. It was one of the greatest periods of Hollywood history. <laughs> Uh, Hawk later described the disappointment as difficult to bear at such a young age, adding, I would never recommend that he can't act. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't either, especially for Ethan Was that acting, though? I don't know. The other thing, too, you gotta... He was just not as good as Jason Presson and River Phoenix. They're both amazing actors. Yes. And 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 granted, again, it's probably Joe Dante because he cast him, but like... It'd be really hard to be really good against River Phoenix and Jason Preston. I just imagine Joe Dante constantly saying, Hey, can you just take it down a little? Just a notch? Maybe six notches, Ethan? Yeah. Ethan, Ethan. Tone it down, Ethan. Tone it down. Ethan, look at me. Ethan, what are you looking at? Ethan, look at me. Ethan, where are you go? Ethan, where'd he go? Where'd he go? I think oh. he's I think he's going to the snack table. <sighs> 
<laughs> every Why time, every time they eat something in in the movie, it's because of Ethan Hawke. Ugh. And then, that's <laughs> another thing. You pull into the space station, he's chomping on a sandwich with his gross mouth open, <laughs> nom, nom, eating a sandwich. It's just every choice he made made me want to punch him in the face. He's chop. Okay, I'm going to put this out there too. When we saw this movie, we were children, and we're the same age as, as Ethan Hawke, so we're not disparaging kids. No. Because I was a kid when I watched him. We we're about the same age, he and I. So. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're just a couple years older. Yeah. I, uh, I may, maybe about a year older, actually. Uh, yeah, you're about the same age. It, yeah. <sighs> yeah, I'm one year older than him. Uh, so in 1989, Hawke made his return to film and made a breakthrough per- appearance in Peter Weir's Dead Poets Society, playing one of the students taught by Robin Williams as a charismatic English teacher. That's another movie that could have gone on this list for me, I think. Really? I yeah. really like Dead Poets Society. I did not. I thought it was just so melodramatic. And, it definitely was. And it's like, you didn't get to do a play and you killed yourself. I just, the whole thing was just like, <laughs> I'm sorry, it wasn't earned. I don't know. And then, I love Robert Sean Leonard. He's such a good actor. He's great. Robert Sean Leonard is great. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the other kid, uh, I forget his name, was good too. Yeah. But Ethan Hawke. No, man. It just, again, <laughs> he's just was not a good actor as a kid. He was not good. I'm pretty sure in that 40 years that he wasn't acting, he didn't take any lessons. He did whatever the opposite of that is. <laughs> he actively, he drank himself to the point where he couldn't remember how to act at all. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, I'd, I'd, look, maybe when we do Haterade Part 2, we'll put that on oh, there. And if yeah. I watch it again, maybe I'll like it. But it was just so, like... Just so dripping with melodrama. It, was it totally just, was. It totally was. But you I know, everything was like, how do we make people cry? For my like 12 or 13-year-old self, when they first saw that movie, I thought it was fantastic. Of course you did. Of course you did. We all did. But I was it a was melodramatic also, kid. And it was the beginning of the ruining of, of uh, Robin Rob Williams. Williams. His smile through tears, uh, period, which made me want to punch him in the face. God rest his soul. I love him. <laughs> love him. But oh my God, Jacob the liar. That was better than Jacob the liar. Was better than Patch oh, Adams. That's for damn sure. Patch Adams was awful. Or, or uh, uh, what dreams may come. Oh my God. I, yeah, that makes me really sad because that's a Richard Matheson novel, and I they just did not do it justice. They didn't. They they did him dirty. They did, they did him very Robin dirty. Williams dirty, and they Richard did him all dirty. dirty. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so much hating me today. You brought it out. I know. Hey, it's Haterade Month. Uh, Dead Poets Society was is Ethan Hawke's highest grossing film to date, uh, if that says anything about his career. Because it's an ensemble piece. <laughs> I know. Uh, it was also nominated for Best Picture. Uh, he has had a long, successful career, most notably appearing in the Before Trilogy with, from Richard Linklater, starring along, alongside Julie Delpy, that explores a relationship over 18 years. Yeah, people love those movies. I've never seen them. I tried to watch one, yeah. and I couldn't get past Ethan. Julie Delpy's great. My biggest issue is I didn't watch it because I, the movies are largely improvised, and as a writer, it annoyed me. Ah. So I was I like, it. I get it. I mean, as a it's who Richard Linklater is, like he does that, but... Uh, he has a real disdain for writers, and I don't know why. Not silly. Uh, he's done some TV in his career as he progressed and uh, has acted on stage since 1991. What TV? Oh, well, you mean recently TV? Yeah, he, and he did TV before, too. I don't remember what, but some, okay. some of the 90s. Uh, he's been nominated for four Academy Awards. Jeez, oh, this is why I hate the Academy this Awards. This is the by part the way. that I, I was like, you're going to be not happy about this. Uh, he got nominated for Best Supporting Actor in 2002 for Training Day. 
Uh, but he lost to Jim Broadbent for Iris. So bad in that movie. Uh, yeah. I, I think that is a movie that's way overrated. Overrated. Yeah, way 100%. He got nothing on me. It's like, yeah, just because it's like, oh, look, it's Denzel Washington being an asshole for two hours. Yeah, it's like, like ooh. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm not an Ant- – is that Antoine Fuqua? Yeah, Fuqua. Fuqua. Yeah. Yeah, he's it's super not, hit or miss for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I just, I when I saw people were so like, oh my god, and then I saw it, and I was like, really? Like uh, this is it? Smoke like, this crack. Yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> It'll make me a better actor. Oh god. Uh, he actually got nominated for best adapted screenplay for Before Sunset in two thousand five, losing to Sideways. And that's all improvised, right? Yeah, best adapted screenplay for Before Midnight in two thousand fourteen, losing to Twelve Years a Slave. I'm not uh, arguing any of these choices. This so is far. the thing they were they were set as adapted because they're. Mostly improvised. Like, Licklater would give them, like, here's the beats, and then the dialogue and everything would be improvised. So him and Julie Delpy both got nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. When we did Carbuncle, mm-hmm. that was improvised. Yeah. So it was, I think, written by T and I, but right. story by story. Yeah, a yeah. bunch of the actors, because right. they came right. up with their own stuff. Yeah. Uh, Best Supporting Actor, he got nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Boyhood in 2015. Uh, That movie also Richard Linklater and also uh, took like 10 years to make or whatever. Well, he did it on – look, that movie – That I understand. Yes. Like it was to chronicle a kid growing up. I understand that. I'm a big fan of Richard Linklater. Ever since uh, Slackers, I thought he was a really interesting filmmaker. He, yes, I know. I have no issue with his stuff. Like the uh, The issue is him working with Ethan Hawke. The 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 animated movie he did, uh, the like um, rotoscoped movie. Yeah, well, he did two Um, of those. I think he did a couple of those. Yeah, well, yeah, because didn't he just do one about the space thing? Or no, that was somebody else. Anyway, yeah, Uh, but I I I like Richard Linklater. Don't get me wrong, Uh, but. Ethan Hawke lost uh, the Best Supporting Actor for Boyhood in 2015 to J.K. Simmons for Whiplash. Deservedly so. Which is, yeah. Uh, he most recently can be seen in Leave the World Behind on Netflix from Sam Esmail and in an episode of the last season of Reservation Dogs. And he was also on uh, Moon Knight. Moon Knight. Yeah, I purposely didn't put that in because it was crap. <laughs> but he was good in it. I will give him... Yeah, he was good in it because he was allowed to be big and crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's that was the only reason that he was interesting. I have come... A, I enjoy... I don't know why, but I do enjoy middle-aged Ethan Hawke. I did yeah, enjoy I, him in the in the, the Netflix movie, the, the one you just... The, uh, leave the World Behind. I, I enjoyed him in Leave the World I, Behind. I have... The funny thing is that all of these that I've seen, I don't mind him in those. I don't have the hate for him like you do. He... Or did. What made him so hateable and... And and it's not it's uh, look a lot of it has to do with behind the scenes stuff with him yeah stuff that just irked me and then stuff that was really gross right but uh, the things that made him pretty detestable as an actor to me as a younger man yeah work better as an older man yeah and he's somehow found a look. You're in the business for 40 years. You're going to get a little bit better. You got it. <laughs> I would hope so. You I know? would hope so. Yeah. And and. And I will give him props for stuff that he's done in the last few years. And I've actually yeah, enjoyed it. There was, there was a period in the 90s and the 2000s where every time I saw Ethan Hawke in something, I was like, great. Because I know exactly what I'm going to get. Yep. And it's going to be comforting. Oh. <laughs> and that's it. Like, I wasn't expecting anything over the moon. He would always put in a quality performance. And then, I, in my, okay. my opinion, gotcha. quality performance. But it would never be anything to, like, Blow your mind away, like him getting nominated. To, I mean, granted, I I don't remember Boyhood at all, so like I know I've seen it. It was that was the beginning for me of being like, okay, he's not the worst, right? Okay, okay. 
Uh, so River, such a, such a glowing <laughs> great, compliment. Great. Uh, <laughs> he's going to put that right on his website. <laughs> I'm not. I'm finally, not the worst. Finally, not the worst. Uh, River Phoenix was cast as Wolfgang Mueller. Uh, Phoenix was born River Jude Bottom on August 23rd, 1970, in Madras, Oregon. F his parents. I know naming him River Bottom. Well, I yes, they were all. He was the first child of Arlen Dunitz and John Lee Bottom. The fact that his, who is named Bottom, that just weirds me out. Uh, he has four younger siblings, Rain, born 1972, Joaquin, born 1974, Liberty, born 1976, and Summer, born 1978. So they were all Rain Bottom, Joaquin Bottom, Liberty Bottom, and Summer Bottom. A lot of bottoms. <laughs> it's just awful. Uh, it's no wonder why they changed, he changed his name when he started acting. Uh, Phoenix's parents named him after the River of Life from the Herman Hess novel Siddhartha, uh, and he received his middle name from the Beatles song Hey Jude. In an interview with People, Phoenix described his parents as... Hippie-ish. No really? shit. <laughs> In 1973, the family joined the religi- religious organization known as the Children of God. Okay, if you are interested in the Children of God, which is an extremely scary effing cult, yeah. There's a podcast called The Last Podcast on the Left. Yes. And they do a really great deep dive. There's like four or five episodes about it. It's, yeah. I mean, deep, deep dive. It's yeah. a pretty effed up child it's sex very, cult. very messed up. It kind uh, of explains a lot of like Joaquin and River yeah. and a lot yeah. of the, yeah. the stuff that they've gone through. Uh, his family settled in Caracas, Venezuela, where the children of God had stationed them to work as missionaries and fruit gatherers. <laughs> in an interview with Details Magazine in November 1991, Phoenix stated he lost his virginity at age four to other children while in the children of God, but he had blocked it out. That's good. Uh, no. Well, no. I mean, good that I he mean, blocked it out. I mean, it's not good that it happened. Well, it's also not good that he blocked it out because blocking stuff out comes out in really bad ways. Yeah, it does. And <laughs> it does. they came out in really bad they ways. Did. It did. Unfortunately. Uh, Arlen and John eventually grew disillusioned with the church and left the cult in 1977. You know, honey, I'm thinking that having our four-year-old have sex was probably a bad idea. I'm yeah. coming a little disillusioned with it. My hands hurt from picking so much fruit. Uh, Phoenix has stated they lived in a... Desperate situation. Uh, they were very poor. Phoenix often played guitar while he and his sister sang on street corners for money and food to support their ever-growing family. Oh my God. I'm... <sighs> yeah. I mean, I don't know what the parents were doing, but apparently the kids were out there shilling for money every day. Well, these parents, and look, get in touch if we're wrong, but these parents sound awful. I, yeah. You know, it's people child, that, this is child abuse. People that should not have had kids. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. But, but uh, sexual child abuse, this is child I know, abuse. I know. Putting kids to work is child abuse. It's, yeah. All of this is. Phoenix never attended formal school. Talent agent Iris Burton spotted River, Joaquin, and their sister, Summer Rain, singing for Spare Change in Westwood, Los Angeles, and was so charmed by the family that she soon represented the four siblings. Cha-ching, cha-ching. Yeah, because might as well go from a weird sex cult to the weird Hollywood cult. Hey, <laughs> And guys. just get used constantly. Phoenix started doing commercials for Mitsubishi, Ocean Spray, and Sex Fifth Avenue, and soon afterward, he and other children were, the other children were signed by Paramount Pictures casting director Penny Marshall. Oh, wow. Uh, River and Rain were assigned immediately to a show called Real Kids as audience warm-up performers. Okay. Which is also very odd, because they were like eight and six, and they were warming up the audience. Hey, guys. <laughs> Welcome. It's just weird. I, I don't know. Want to watch me do my yo-yo tricks? In 1980, Phoenix began to fully pursue his career as an actor, making his first appearance on a TV show called Fantasy, singing with his sister Rain. In 1982, Phoenix was cast in the short-lived CBS television series Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, in which he starred as youngest brother Guthrie McFadden. 
Isn't that a Broadway show or musical? It is. I don't. I didn't look to see. I'm assuming it's based around that. Seven brides for seven brothers. It was a musical, but I. I don't remember. Anyway, Phoenix arrived at the auditions with his guitar and promptly burst into a convincing Elvis Presley impersonation, charming the show's producers. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, by this age, Phoenix was also an accomplished tap dancer. I'm tap dancing. You are. It's, cra- it's crazy. I'm wow. pretty good. I'm pretty good. Uh, Phoenix was in a few made-for-TV movies. It was while filming one of these TV movies that he was contacted about starring in Explorers. Uh, Explorers was his feature film debut. Phoenix was originally considered to play Darren, uh, but when Dante chose Jason Preston to play him, Dante thought that he was good enough to play another role, so he cast him against type as the nerdy Wolfgang. Which he nailed it. He totally did. Nailed it. He was so good in that part. Um, I mean, like, scary good. Uh, there's a, a legend in my family that before I got named Adam that I was going to be named Wolfgang. Your, your life would have been completely different. I know. It would uh, have been so Supposedly, amazing. they couldn't think of a name. and a, Quote, unquote. I'm doing a lot of quoties here <laughs> because God knows with my family, this is probably isn't true. But, uh, and my mom will definitely correct me. But uh, they didn't have a name for me for like two days. And the doctor was like, you should call him Wolfgang. And they were like, maybe. Oh, that would yeah. have been so rad. Yeah. I was almost named Dirk. Oh, God. Dirk I probably Lightfoot. Would, Dirk the Jerk. I probably would not have been friends with you. I wouldn't have blamed you. I would have been a horrible human being. <laughs> <laughs> totally different. Dirk, right. Dirk Benedict is a good actor. Dirk, he is. I mean, Dirk's not a bad name necessarily. It's just got weird connotations. Yes. Uh, due to growing up in communes in South America, Phoenix was somewhat unfamiliar with popular culture of North America. During rehearsals for Explorers, it became a running joke where he would attempt scripted well-known words and phrases and pronounce them incorrectly. Yeah, it's so funny that you can't read because you were in a sex cult. Yeah. Uh, Phoenix would follow up Explorers with Stand By Me, another great movie. Uh, and we did a whole episode about it, so make sure you listen to that. Oh, my God. So good in that, too. Uh, and then he did The Mosquito Coast in 1986. That is uh, Harrison Ford's favorite movie yeah. that he did. It's so good. It He's is so an good. amazing movie. He plays uh, one of Harrison Ford's kids. Uh, Harrison Ford plays a scientist who moves into the Amazon yeah. with his family. They made a series, I think, on Apple TV yeah. about it. Yeah. But if you want to see... Uh, Harrison Ford, long hair, being a weirdo, and unlike anything you've ever seen him do, and a, an amazing performance by River Phoenix. Yeah. Watch Mosquito Coast. So good. So good. In 1988, he would star in Running on Empty, directed by Sidney Lumet, co-starring Judd Hirsch, Christine Lottie, and Martha Plimpton. Yeah, he's like a a kid on the... Like in the witness protection program, or he witnesses something. I don't, you know, it's funny. I'm pretty sure I've seen Running on Empty. I don't remember anything about it. I've seen it. But yeah. I think that's what it's about. Yeah. Uh, Phoenix will be nominated for Best Supporting Actor at the Oscars for the movie. Oh, no, I was thinking, no, because I was thinking of Little Nikita. That's the one where his parents are like Russian spies. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was around this time in 1988 that Phoenix started using drugs. Uh, Some claim that his drug use was more sporadic and he had a bigger issue with alcohol, but Martha Plimpton would end up breaking up with him due to his drug use. Yeah. Uh, Due to the breakup with Plimpton, Phoenix became paranoid that his drug habit would ruin his career, so he was very careful to hide it from everyone. Yeah, uh, so promising, man. And yeah. when he played the young Indiana Jones in, uh, in 1989, in 1989 yeah. Last Crusade, my God. He was so good. He was so good. I mean, he was a young Harrison yeah. Ford. It was yeah. just, it, it breaks my heart. We were talking about this watching the movie mm-hmm. yesterday that guys like him or Heath Ledger yeah, yeah. and Chris Farley guys who die so young who are so talented we were just talking about how we're robbed of their careers and like I, I can't imagine how great 
Phoenix yeah. would be in his 50s. How different everything would be. Because they would be in such amazing movies. And I, we, I told you, he would have been Oppenheimer. Yeah, yeah. He probably would have. He would yeah. have been Oppenheimer I if he would have survived. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's just so depressing. Uh, he started with Keanu Reeves in My Own Private Idaho from Gus Van Sant, based on Shakespeare's Henry IV Part One, Henry IV Part Two, and Henry V in 1991. That is such a good movie. Uh, it is. It's really good. Uh, Phoenix will win an Independent Spirit Award for his performance in the movie. It's just sad because it's just about uh, yeah yeah. It's it's hard. It's a it's a tough, especially with what happened. It's a tough watch. In October of 1993, Phoenix would go on a drug binge with John Frusciante, guitarist for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. Uh, which surprisingly somehow survived years and years of drugs and heroin abuse. Musicians always do. It's weird. Most of them. Most of them. Yeah. And if they can get past 27, then they're good. Exactly. Thank <laughs> they're you. They're good. Uh, Phoenix and Frusciante were consuming cocaine and heroin and had not slept for several days. On the evening of October 30th, 1993, Phoenix arrived with his girlfriend, Samantha Mathis, his brother, Joaquin, and his sister, Rain, at the Viper Room, a Hollywood nightclub partly owned by Johnny Depp. Yeah. Phoenix was to perform with the band P, which featured Phoenix's friends Flea and John Frusciante from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Gibby Haynes from the Butthole Surfers, Al Jorgensen of Ministry, and Johnny Depp. That's awesome. That sounds like a great, great lineup. Yeah. Uh, according to Bob Forrest, an LA musician in attendance at the Viper Room during the performance by P, Phoenix tapped him on the shoulder to tell him that he was not feeling well and that he thought he had overdosed. Forrest said to Phoenix that he did not think that he was overdosing because he could stand and talk. Good, good thing, doctor. Apparently, yes. <laughs> he missed that day in medical school. Yeah, I, Jesus. Nonetheless, he offered to take Phoenix home, but the latter declined, saying he was feeling better. A few moments later, Forrest said that a commotion erupted in the club, and he went outside to find Mathis screaming as her boyfriend was lying on the sidewalk having convulsions. Unable to determine whether Phoenix was breathing, Joaquin called 911. Rain proceeded to give Phoenix mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. When the ambulance arrived, Phoenix was still alive, and Flea accompanied him to Cedar sinai Medical Center. Attempts to resuscitate Phoenix at the hospital were unsuccessful. He was pronounced dead at 1.51 a.m. on the morning of October 31st at the age of 23. So, such a waste. Such an oh, absolute waste. God, that hit me a little harder than I thought it was going to. Oh, my God. It is, that is just so sad. And I hate to say it, but it's this cult. Started this. With yeah, him. of course. Of course. I mean, and the fact that he felt people were so shocked when they found out that he overdosed because he hid his drugs yeah. so well. And and he was young and eager and like so articulate and good and yeah. and committed and committed. I, I have been in nights like this where like you see somebody at a club or yeah. you see somebody at a concert and you're just like whoa man what is going on yeah. and it's but no you're caught up in the moment and you're caught up in like the excitement and then suddenly really really bad stuff happens and it's just a shame it's just such a shame hard drugs never have a happy ending like you were saying earlier i'm just more upset by the fact that he had such a long career ahead yeah. of him and and that's me being selfish like i mean of course i want him to be alive yeah. but like I, I there's so many great pieces of art that he had left in him and and we're never going to see those for every robert downey junior there's 10 river phoenix yeah yeah that's, that's true. sad uh, Phoenix had two movies released posthumously, uh, Silent Tongue from Sam Shepard, a Western horror film released in 1994, also starring Richard Harris and Dermot Mulroney. I don't know if I ever saw that. Um, I don't think I did. I love Sam Shepard, so I, yeah. um, and Richard Harris is great. But yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it's a Western horror movie. I'm going to have to find it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Dark Blood, another movie that he was in the middle of shooting when he died, which was released in not until 2012. 
the film was directed, yeah, the film was directed by George Sluzer, who had directed The Vanishing and its Dutch predecessor, Spoorloose. Ooh, I like The Vanishing. Yeah, they're good. He also, it also starred Judy Davis and Jonathan Price. It is the only film where Phoenix was playing the villain. Uh, he apparently was really enjoying it. Uh, it was revealed in October 2011 that director George Sluzer had held onto the footage, fearing it would be destroyed, and that he had re-edited the material and believed that with some adjustments, the completed film could be released in 2012 against the Phoenix family's wishes. Yeah, I mean... He tried to get their blessing, and they were like, no, and he released it anyway. I get it. I kind of get both sides. Yeah, I mean, part of me wants to see it because I want to see his... Final performance. And him playing a bad guy. Like, that sounds really, Mm -hmm. really interesting. But, you know, I also get it. It wasn't a complete performance, so... So It's kind of a gimmick. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I get both sides. I, I... Air on the side of the family. Exactly, exactly. They cast Jason Presson as Darren Woods. Jason Presson! Jason Presson! <laughs> Presson started his career in TV with a TV movie called Wish Man in 1983 at the age of 12. I'm the Wish Man. Uh, Ask me wishies. <laughs> it also featured an early performance from Linda Hamilton. Nice. Uh, he made his feature film debut in 1984 in The Stone Boy, starring Robert Duvall, Frederick Forrest, Glenn Close, Wilford Brimley, Linda Hamilton, and Dean Cain. Yeah, back before Dean Cain was an a-hole. Yeah. Uh, it was based on the 1957 short story The Stone Boy by American author Gina Berrialt. Such a great story. I, yeah. I read that in English. Uh, Tim Kane did turn into a jerk, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Yes, he did. <laughs> it's hard to keep track of these old white dudes. No, he did. Um, yeah, The Stone Boy. I remember reading the story and really enjoying it. And because it's a it's a fascinating story of grief. Yeah. I think a boy accidentally kills his brother in a like yeah. a hunting accident or something. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he is stoic. I mean, he, he just is, is very, yeah. Hence yeah. the stone boy. He just won't talk. He won't do, yeah. And his grandfather, played by Robert Duvall, tries to, it's just a really, really good movie and a great performance. I've never, I have to see it. I've never seen it. I, I eventually at some point we'll probably cover it. But it's um, got Wilfred Brimley, Beaters, and it's got Glenn Close and everybody. Yeah, it's, it, it sounds great. 1984 also saw the release of the TV movie Invitation to Hell, directed by Wes Craven, starring Robert Urich, Joanna Cassidy, and Susan Lucci. Oh, Susan Lucci. You remember Susan Lucci? Yeah. She was a, a soap opera star that never won an Emmy. Yeah, the funny thing is that the one time she did win, she was in the bathroom. Funny. That's even <laughs> but it funnier. Went, she went like 27 years, and then and then it was like finally she won, and they were like, where is she? And she was she like, I didn't think I was going to win. It's so great. I <laughs> yeah. love her. That's just like that was a huge running joke. Yeah. Uh, he made guest appearances on Trapper John M.D. and Finder of Lost Loves before being cast in Explorers. He had a really good career before Explorers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A, a, a burgeoning career, definitely. Yeah. Uh, Preston appeared in Lady in White in 1988 starring Lucas Haas. Nice. Uh, who was the name I could not remember earlier. Yeah, Lucas uh, Haas from uh, th- from Witness. Yes. Playing Little yeah, Amish boy. He was a really good young actor. Still yeah. good. Yeah, he's still, he still good. That's true. Up. Yes, yeah, yeah. He was great in Brick. Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. He was, he was great. So that is yeah. a- another... Uh, one that kind of flew under the radar. Brick is such a great movie. It blends noir with high school, yeah. and it's got its own like it's language. A, it was an, a very fascinating movie. Oh, it's in our library. It, it's is. So good. it is. It is. He worked with Joe Dante again on Gremlins 2, The New Batch, as the yogurt jerk. I'm the yogurt jerk. A very, very short, very fast part, but he was funny. It's uh, called the cameo. Cameo, yes. Uh, in 1991, he did a voiceover for Rugrats uh, and was in the TV movie Never Forget and made an appearance on an episode of In the Heat of the Night. Yeah. Uh, after that, he quit acting. I'm done. He just, he, I, I think at that point, he decided he just didn't want to do it anymore. I get um, it. 
He continued his education in healthcare and has made a killing investing in real estate. Good for him. That's great. I love to see these guys pivot. Um, if you don't love it, why do it? Yeah. I mean, there's no reason. I mean, I, I don't, I'm sure he's encouraged by his parents and stuff, but he got to a point where he's like, well, I don't really want to do this. I he's mean, a difficult dude because he's not really a leading man, um, but he's definitely – he would have been a really great character actor if, yeah, he, would have, if yeah, he would have kept yeah. going. He would have been one of those unsung heroes that lasted. Right. right. You know, just in every, he's in like 10 movies every year. Playing and it's just cops. Like and random TV episodes and stuff. Yeah. He, would have, he would have had a great career. Showing but, up on SVU as a rapist I mean, or something. Mad respect for the fact that he was realized he just didn't want to do it. In the fact that I love these people that leave the business and become successful. It just yeah. shows that they, they were driven – uh, you know, successful people, and they were destined to be successful regardless of what they do. There's just people that are like that. Yeah. I wish I was like that, but you know, it's like those those uh, you know, they're far and few between, and, and good for Mr. Preston. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because the only reason I know this is is that he has a photographer friend who runs a blog, and he just happened to take a picture of him in Hollywood. They were going down. He was in town or whatever. Yeah, and, and they went down. Uh, AmericanVirus.com. That's what the name of it is. AmericanVirus. Oh, okay. But if you want to check it out, but he. Uh, he just took a picture of him. And then the funny thing is that over the course of like three years, it was – it had like a thousand comments because everybody wanted to know what was going on with Jason Presson. That is so great. Well, because and, if you're of a certain age, yeah. Jason Presson was, was – you know, left it was an impression. People were just like, next time you see him, tell him how great he is. And like we love him. And, you know, everyone wishes that he was acting. But he the, – the photographer was like, I – you know, he's a very private dude. And like – well, that's like, got to feel good. He's only mentioning this stuff because he asked if it was okay, yeah. and he was like, "Yeah, whatever." But I mean, it was—he's just doing his thing. But he looks good. He's—he the picture of him's great. Like he looks good. He's doing his thing. You know, you know what his slogan is for real estate? What's that? If you want to make an impression, make an impression. <laughs> wow. So you're sure he was successful? <laughs> hey, look, it worked. Altadena oh, is a funny. very interesting place. <laughs> Uh, Amanda Peterson was cast as Laurie Swenson. No. Uh, Amanda Peterson made her acting debut at the age of seven on stage in The Sound of Music. I am 16, going on 17. You know, this is another one of those movies I've never seen The Sound of really? Music. Really? Never. I think... I have zero desire to see The Sound of Music. There was a time, and I think this is... By the 80s, I think that this was dwindling. Yeah. But there was a time where I think it was... Against the law, not to watch the <laughs> annual airing of The right, Sound of Music. Right. I think we all well, were. Apparently, I was a criminal then because I never did. Because the ABC Sunday night movie. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think around Easter or yeah. it was like a holiday. A spring, a springish like some thing. Kinda, yeah, that's, you know, yeah. Hey, we just wanted Nazis in the springtime, apparently. But uh, yeah, that was just. <laughs> My parents would watch it and I would go play Nintendo. Yeah. Well, good for you because you I was forced to watch it, it all the so time. many times. Uh, Amanda Peterson's singing and dancing translated to a support dancer in the 1982 musical Annie, based on the Broadway musical. Yeah, with uh, people in it. Yes, <laughs> there were other people in <laughs> in the musical. Yes, uh, Peterson transitioned to TV and appeared on Father Murphy in Silver Spoons. You remember Father Murphy? I do remember Father I, Murphy. My mom loved that that show. <laughs> I don't really. Was it a was it a, a comedy? Sitcom. It was sitcom. Wasn't he yeah. like a, a a priest raising a bunch of foster kids or something? Yeah, yeah. It was like he was in a foster like a orphanage or foster home or something. Yeah, <sighs> man. They love TV shows about people with a gaggle of kids. Yeah. man. That was a just big thing. Ten of us. I mean, just, it, um, eight is enough. Or like uh, different strokes. Or it was like let's throw these kids into a weird situation. Or Webster, which was a complete know. ripoff of Different Strokes. Yeah, well. <laughs> 
Or, hey, what about uh, uh, Small Wonder, where you throw a little <laughs> robot girl in? I can't find a little girl, so I'm going to create one and put her in my house. Yeah, creeps. Okay, that was weird. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she also appeared in more than 50 television commercials. Uh, she hit, she was that cute, like, blonde yeah. girl next door. Girl like, next was, door. She was perfect. Uh, during the 1983-84 television se- season, she co-starred as Squirt Sawyer on the NBC drama series Boone. Uh, Boone was canceled after one season. I do not remember Boone at all. It, it sounds familiar. Uh, Explorers was her first feature film and leading role, which uh, loosely leading role. She was in the movie for like two minutes. She was the object I, of desire. Also, my biggest com- – and I, the third act is terrible, but my biggest complaint about this movie – is that for some reason, Amanda Peterson just shows up at the end and goes, well, now I love you too. Because he, <laughs> he gets that stupid thing, and then you were in the bathroom when this happened. No. He's like floating around, and he sees, he sees her, and he's like, oh. he sees her in the window. Yeah. And just the window is floating by. And he goes, Laurie, we're dreaming. <laughs> and she doesn't even, it was just the stupidest thing. Okay. Well, that's even, yeah. God, that makes it even worse. So much worse. Uh, in 1987, she starred in Can't Buy Me Love with Patrick Dempsey, uh, which is how I knew her. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's I such had, a great movie. had a huge crush on her because of that movie. Oh, everybody did. Yeah. Because she was the, that was one of the first uh, transactional nerd <laughs> <laughs> love that's movies. That's true. That's true. Where she ruins her mom's leather coat. You he, know. he was going to buy a, a telescope, and then he sees nerd. He just happened to see her at the at the mall, and then it was a girlfriend. It was back when Patrick Dempsey was like the nerd yeah, hot guy, hot then, nerd guy, and then like now he's the sexiest man in the world. In 1989, she appeared in "Listen to Me" with Kirk Cameron, Jamie Gertz, and Roy Scheider about a debate team at Pepperdine. That wins a chance to debate about abortion before the Supreme Court. Peterson made a few more appearances in TV movies and guest spots on shows, but in 1994, she retired from the entertainment industry and returned to her hometown in Greeley, Colorado. According to her father, she left Hollywood to choose a new path in her life. Yeah. Yeah. Fortunately, it didn't quite go the way that Jason Preston's did. Well, look. Uh, Here's what's gross. Uh, One of the really, really, really gross things about Hollywood, and especially back then. Uh, actresses were expendable and they oh, had an yeah. expiration yeah. date. Oh, yeah. And if you weren't a good enough actor to transcend that, like Meryl Streep or somebody, if, if you were good, then you started playing the moms and you started yeah. doing this. And it's just like, it was a horribly depressing art. It was, it was a bad situation. And disgusting. Yeah. yeah. Peterson was twice married and had two children. Oh. Between October 2000 and May 2012, Peterson was arrested five times for the offenses of third-degree assault, harassment, DUI, and possession of drug paraphernalia. You know, I remember and this. And suspicion of distributing a Schedule II controlled substance. Oh. Uh, from September to December 2005, she spent nearly three months in jail. Peterson's last arrests were for a misdemeanor DUI and possession of narcotics equipment charge in April 2012 and suspicion of child abuse in May 2012, which was later dropped. Yeah. Apparently, she cleaned herself up and had become quite religious. She found God and got clean. She suffered from sleep apnea and bouts of pneumonia and sinusitis. In 2012, Peterson started receiving disability benefits and lived alone in an apartment in Greeley. Uh, uh Uh-oh. Yeah. On July 3rd, 2015, Peterson was reported missing after her family became concerned when she missed a scheduled family dinner. Two days later, on July 5th, the Greeley police found her dead at her home at the age of 43. Uh. 
While the police did not comment on specific details due to an ongoing investigation, they said Peterson's apartment door was unlocked, but there were no signs of foul play. Despite her parents being convinced that Peterson had put the drugs behind her, her autopsy showed that she died from an accidental drug overdose. According to the coroner's report, Peterson had undergone a hysterectomy shortly before her death and was prescribed gabapentin for post-surgical pain management. She was also taking morphine at the time of her death. According to the report, she obtained the drug from a friend a week before she died. Uh, the coroner's report concluded Peterson experienced a morphine effect that triggered respiratory failure leading to her death. So the cast Bobby Fight is Steve Jackson. Uh, growing up in Dallas, Fight began his show business career at the age of six after taking it upon himself to contact local talent agent Kim Dawson. Hey, Kim Dawson, you're going to take me out. When recounting the experience years later, Dawson explained, He said, I want to be an actor. I remember how amazed I was. I told him what he'd have to do, and he said, I can do that. In the following years, Fight worked as a child actor and model, appearing in local commercials and print advertorials. Nice. With his youthful, youthful looks in Texas drawl, Fight was frequently cast as a southern boy, primarily, primarily playing roles several years younger than his true age throughout most of his career as a child star. I kept saying that it was Brad Pitt. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Because <laughs> he looks like he, he got does. Brad Pitt. He does. In 1982, Fight made his television debut with a co-starring role in the NBC movie of the week, The Long Summer of George Adams, starring James Garner and Joan Hackett. Nice. Uh, the TV movie was directed by Stuart Margolin. Ah, baby. Angel from Angel Rockford from Files. Files. One of the best character actors ever and an amazing director. Yeah. In July of that year, Fight made his feature film debut with a small role as Dulcie May's son in Universal's film adaptation of the Broadway musical comedy The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, starring Burt Reynolds and Dolly Parton. Adapted and directed by Colin Higgins, who wrote and directed Foul Play and 9 to 5. Oh, third time was not the charm. <laughs> Definitely check out our Foul Play episode. We covered that. Colin Higgins is fascinating. Foul Play is a great movie. Yes. And Best Little Horror House in Texas is not. Okay. And 9 to 5 is a great movie, too. Yeah. Uh, which we will cover at some point. Uh, Fight would focus on TV for the next few years. His biggest role came in Silver Spoons, appearing as J.T. Martin in the first two seasons. Oh, yeah. I remember him. <laughs> Opposite. I almost said Ricky Martin. No, uh, Rick Schroeder. Rick Schroeder. Ricky Schroeder. Rick. Ricky. At the time, he was Ricky. But now that he's a right-wing a-hole, he's yeah. Rick. Yeah, him and Dean Cain <laughs> cornholing yeah. each other. Uh, <laughs> he returned to features in 1985, playing supporting characters in two other movies released with Explorers. Papa was a preacher, starring Robert Pine, Georgia Engel, Dean Stockwell, and Melora Hardin. Okay. I've never heard of this. Dean Stockwell and Melora Hardin were both on Quantum Leap. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, yes, they both were. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I just don't know this movie. Uh, the Legend of Billie Jean also came out that year, starring Helen Slater, Keith Gordon, Christian Slater, Dean Stockwell, Richard Bradford, and Peter Coyote. That was a good movie. It was so weird. It was like... It was a very odd movie, well, but well, there was another Christian one Slater for me that was on all the time. And Helen Slater. Yeah. No relation. No relation. Yeah. Uh, but in the movie, they were brother and sister, yeah. but they yeah. had this weirdly dancing around it incestuous yeah. thing that was, it was really it was Maybe it was just the chemistry between the actors, but... I'm possibly... Uh, I really liked that movie. I thought it was done really yeah. well. And Helen, was so Helen sweaty. Slater was great. It was real sweaty. And yeah, everybody sweaty. was sweaty. Um, it's a great movie. Uh, it's a, it was a very much early of its time, uh, but it was a good movie. Good movie, yes. Yeah. Uh, throughout the rest of the 1980s, Fight worked behind the scenes on film sets, but did not appear on camera again until 1982, when he returned to acting with a small role in the suspense thriller Fatal Charm. In the film, Fight portrayed Bud, a high school acquaintance of Valerie, played by his former Explorers co-star Amanda Peterson, nice. who finds danger after she falls in love with a serial killer portrayed by Christopher Atkins, who starred in The Blue Lagoon in 1980. All those words make up a bad movie. <laughs> 
Although filmed in 1989 and intended for a cable television release, the film was shelved for almost three years due to post-production and marketing difficulties and was never aired on cable, but instead was released direct-to-video in February of 1992. There were so many direct-to-video oh, yeah. horrible movies. That was the the demise of the Corys was once their right. addiction took over, all they could do were these like gross kind of oh, just softcore. Awful, awful, weird, like, you know, oh, it's a thriller, suspense thriller, and ugh. it's just... Them. It's just him making out with people. And it's just weird. Being nude. In September 1994, Fight appeared in what would be his final on-screen role in an episode of Walker, Texas Ranger. Yeah, what a shame. And the episode entitled Badge of Honor, Fight made a cameo appearance in the episode's final scene as a UPS man who delivers a package to Walker. Here's your package. Uh, well, now, thank you very much. I was going to take my package, and I'm going to go punch you in the face. My dad loved that show. So they, and I never watched it, but he loved that show. I get it. He Everybody was a huge Chuck show. Norris fan. Uh, and then I apologize to your dad. No, it's fine. I'm sure that I, I relentlessly make fun of Chuck Norris. Uh, after leaving show business, Fight returned to Dallas. In 2002, Fight began work as a home developer, which he's still doing now. Great. So he's out there doing stuff. Good. Dana Ivey was cast as Mrs. Muller. Uh, Ivey was a, is, a, is a five-time Tony Award nominee for her work on Broadway. Oh, yeah. She's an exceptionally Phenom- accomplished phenomenal. stage actor. She originated the title role in Driving Miss Daisy and was nominated for a Drama Desk Award for Best Actress in a Play. I bet she was super bummed when the movie came out and she didn't get it. Oh, yeah. She, well, I mean, she did Driving Miss Daisy. She probably was only like 40. And they had to cast somebody that was in their 70s or 80s that looked a little more you know, I got to make water, Miss Daisy. <laughs> Not now, Holt. I got to get to the Piggly Wiggly. <laughs> Explore- well, I'm going to make water in my pants. Don't do that. Uh, Explorers was her feature film debut. Really? Surprisingly enough, I, Dana Ivey had a huge career yeah. in Broadway before this. Uh, later that year, in 1985, she would appear in The Color Purple from Steven Spielberg. She also appeared in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels in 1988, The Addams Family in 1991, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York in 1992, Sleepless in Seattle in 93, Addams Family Values in 93, Two Weeks Notice in 2002, Rush Hour 3 in 2007, and The Help in 2011. She is absolutely hilarious in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. is such an, uh, a guilty pleasure of mine. I love that such movie. A, it's such a funny movie. Steve Martin and Michael Kite. It's so good. They're it's so awful to each it, other. It's so good. Have you seen the original of that? No. Dirty Run Scoundrels starring David Niven and Marlon Brando? No. Marlon Brando playing the Steve Martin part? Oh, really? Interesting. It's fascinating. All right. Uh, her most recent work was in the Ocean's 8 movie in 2017. Nice. Uh, I don't have any record of how old she is, but she's still around. She's still acting. She's always 29. <laughs> <laughs> Taliesin Jaff was cast as Ludwig Mueller. Uh, he was one of the kids. Oh, okay. uh, I th- he might have been the kid in the mask. I, d- I, don't, I really okay. don't know. <laughs> uh, Jaff, I think he was actually wasn't. Was it Jaff or Jaffy? Jaffy. Jaff. I think it's Jaff. Okay. Uh, he made his acting debut in Mr. Mom in 1983, starring Michael Keaton and Terry Garr. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure he was the one not in the mask because he actually had lines. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jaff appeared in a number of features and TV roles as a child, culminating in 45 episodes of the Suzanne Somers sitcom, She's the Sheriff, from 1987 to 1989. She's the... Will- <laughs> she, she's the Sheriff routinely makes the worst TV of all time list. It is so bad. It is a running joke. It's, oh, it's been a running joke with me for years. It still ran for three seasons. Oh, well, they, they didn't care. They would run that. It was syndication. Sheriff they, Bobo they made them was for on. like 10 bucks. <laughs> yeah. They were like, just go do it. Yeah, it was, uh, oh, she's the, she's the Sheriff. <laughs> she's so awful. Well, it was also like... 
at a time, a very sexist time, yeah. where a woman sheriff was like, uh, oh, this never happened before. I realize you have the authority, but I know more than you. Yeah. Welcome to every episode of She's the Sheriff. Yes. Uh, after this, Jeff turned to voice acting, doing English voices for imported anime. He's appeared in almost what? 40 animes, the biggest playing Basil Hawkins in One Piece. What? Yeah. I haven't seen that. Yeah, of the 1,000 episodes of One Piece that have come out. Yeah, I liked the Netflix adaptation, and I was like, oh, maybe I'll watch the anime. And then I realized it was a nope. rest of my life commitment. Nope, nope. Uh, he also did voice work in a ton of video games, uh, World of Warcraft, Final Fantasy IV, uh, and fourteen. He played Blanca in Street Fighter V. Nice. Uh, Flash in Mortal Kombat vs. DC Universe and Injustice 2, Fallout 4 and Fallout 76, and is Thurless in Horizon Forbidden West. Right on. Way to go, buddy. Yeah, he did uh, return to some live acting, the most famous being part of the Critical Role campaigns, playing D&D with his friends while voicing the characters. I'm pretty sure that... Uh, Lewis, a friend of ours, knows all of them. Nice. I wouldn't be surprised. Lewis knows everybody. He'll he'll probably text us as soon as he hears this. Shout out to you, Lewis. (laughs) You're awesome. Yeah. Uh, He most recently... Oh, so that that actually led... The critical role thing actually led to a role in The Legend of Vox Machina. Machina? Vox Machina? Vox Machina. God, Vox Machina. I can never say that right. Um, If you try to get me to say Deus Ex Machina, I can say it right then, but if I think about it, it's out. Well, we'll we'll just... Isolate that whenever we need it. We'll use that clip. <laughs> uh, it was uh, on Amazon Prime. Check it out. It's it's a great show. Yeah, it's cute. It's really funny. Uh, he most recently can be heard in the video game Elix 2. Uh, I just like the fact that he went to anime. Like, he's doing all this anime stuff. It's really uh, Just, he's living my dream. I would love to do voiceover. Yeah. That's what I would love to do. James Cromwell was cast as Mr. Mueller. Oh, Jamie Cromwell. Wolfgang's papa. Uh, Cromwell made his television debut in a guest spot on The Rockford Files in 1974. Yeah, he did. Uh, Cromwell made his feature film debut in 1976, Murder by Death, written by Neil Simon, uh, which we also have an episode about Murder by Death. Oh, such a great movie. He also had a a recurring role on All in the Family. He's appeared in almost 70 feature films, the most recent being voiceover work as Alfred Pennyworth and Merry Little Batman. (laughs) That was really good, by the way. (laughs) That was really fun little... uh, Nice little animated Yeah, movie. very sure. different from the Batman. It was more of just kind of a comedy thing. Nice, nice. But I, I, it was very fun. If you have a chance to watch it, do it. Maybe save it for uh, Christmas time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Babe in 1995, losing, losing to Kevin Spacey in The Usual Suspects. Gross. I mean, great performance, but uh, yeah. Uh, that'll do, pig. Yeah, that'll do. That'll do. He's also appeared in almost tw- 120 TV shows and TV movies. Uh, he appeared twice on Star Trek The Next Generation as two different characters, once on Star Trek Deep Space Nine and as Dr. Zephram Cochran, the man who invented the warp drive in the feature Star Trek First Contact and the shows Star Trek Enterprise and Star Trek Lower Decks. Yeah, Lower Decks is funny. Uh, yeah, he was like the hippie w- weirdo on that bad generation. They never knew what to do with the Next Generation no. cast in the movies. No. It was, no, no, it was no. sad. He's been nominated seven times for a Primetime Emmy Award, winning once for his role in American Horror Story Asylum. Oh, yeah. Which is phenomenal in that. Amazing. Uh, so scary. So scary. He's also been nominated five times for a SAG Award, but has never won. F you. Uh, he may be the best overlooked actor working today. He is a solid, 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 solid character yeah. actor. Who can be a leading man when needed? Yeah. Babe was such a great, Babe was great, understated performance. Uh, L.A. Confidential. Oh my god, was fantastic in that. Like uh, I, Rolo Tomasi, baby. Yeah, it was. It was. He's such a good actor. Such a good actor. He will soon be seen on the Apple TV Plus series Sugar, set to be released in 2023, which obviously did not happen. It must be coming out sometime in 2024. Yeah. <laughs> 
Robert Picardo was cast as Starkiller slash Whack slash Whack and Neek's father, who didn't get a name. Uh, Robert Picardo was in the third act of this movie. <laughs> Robert Picardo is a great character actor. He's, He's hilarious. He is a talented, talented man. He's been on Star Trek. You're going to get into it. I mentioned at the beginning of the show that I feel the worst for Robert Picardo. Uh, yeah. Because here's the deal. Robert Picardo gets a call. He's, he hangs up the phone and he goes up to his wife or significant other. And he's like, honey, oh, my God, I got cast in a Joe Dante film. Not just one part, not just two parts, but three parts. And I am the entire third act. And it's going to give me a chance to be really funny and do a bunch of characters and do a whole bunch of other stuff. And I get to be all this other stuff. I'm so excited. This is going to really turn my career around. I'm going to be a star now, honey. At least he would got to do the Star Killer part in the fake movie because then he wasn't totally. But it was such a small. He had. I, I didn't include this, but the costumes that he had to wear for yeah. the third act. All that was showing was his mouth. Yes. He literally couldn't see. He couldn't hear. All was his mouth. They had to have somebody guide him around. When he got in the costume, he couldn't get out of the costume. So there were times people would see him during breaks where he would be sitting there and you just hear him quietly crying because the costume was so uncomfortable. So awful. I mean, that is like, where's OSHA? The thing on his head that, that becomes the creature's head right. for the, the kid he said it weighed about as much as a microwave and he had to balance it essentially around and if he leaned too far it'd fall over and then when he did the dad he said it was like having a giant tv on my head and it hurt so bad he probably damaged his neck I, I, it was awful awful uh, but poor guy because he's really talented and i'm sure that he was like this is the break yeah i've been yeah, waiting for yeah. Uh, so he made his television <laughs> debut on an episode of Kojak in 1977. Uh, he had a recurring role in the sitcom Alice. Uh, his feature debut was in The Howling in 1981, directed by Joe Dante. Right. Not a very funny part. Alice, no. based on the Martin Scorsese movie, Alice doesn't live here anymore. Oh, is it? Mm-hmm. I, oh, wow. I don't think I've ever seen Alice. I always thought it was something else. The son in I the it was TV a... show is the same. Oh, is he it? He played the son in the movie, I believe. Oh. God, I always, I always thought that it was... Uh, about a diner. I was, it was Christy McNichol's brother, I think. Jimmy McNichol or something McNichol? I, I don't know. I, I, wow. I need to look up Alice, apparently. <laughs> I loved Alice as a kid. Kiss yeah. my grits, baby. Yeah, yeah. Kiss my grits. Uh, along with playing a number of roles in Explorers, Picardo would continue to work with Dante on a number of films. Uh, he did Inner Space in 1987. Such a great movie. And he was so hilarious in that, too, by the Fantastic way. Fantastic movie. Everybody was so good in that. Uh, the Burbs in 1989, another Phenomenal, one yes. of my favorite comedies. I always get that mixed up with the Money Pit, which is no, horrible. The burbs, but the Burbs is a great. Burbs, I like the Money Pit, Ugh. but the Burbs. The one difference is that the Burbs is funny. Does not have uh, Shelley Long. Shelley Long, <laughs> which is what inherently makes it funnier. Uh, it's just the most unlikable performance by uh, Tom Hanks of it's, anything that he's. Done. I really enjoy the Money Pit, but also I saw that during a Catholic camp which I don't know why they showed us the money pit, but it was on that. Remember when I was telling you about the TV oh, yeah. that had the thing? That was the first movie you watched, and that was the money pit. Well, that's why you like it, because yeah. you like the technology. Nostalgia. That's why. Uh, it's, not it's not a good movie. It's not a good movie, but it'll always be there for me. But The Burbs is a great uh, Burbs is, cult movie. God, it's so good. Uh, it's so good. We will cover that eventually. Uh, it's such a good movie. Isn't uh, 
Corey Feldman in that? Mm-hmm. He's great. He's yeah. really funny. He's the neighbor who like starts the party when yeah. they, when he realizes that the the neighbor guy. It is such a great. It is the thing I wanted to have happen on my on my street in my neighborhood. Sure. Like I wanted to go outside and watch the neighbors getting all conspiratorial and trying to invade somebody's house. Like it's, it was. Uh, it's like the other side. If uh, it's like the the point of view of the neighbors if the Adams family moved into your neighborhood. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, he also was in Gremlins 2, The New Batch, with Joe Dante in 1990. Yes, and he was the security guard who got romanced by the Oh, that's lady right. Gremlin. That's right. He yeah. had lots of smooches on his face. <laughs> he was so good in that. Uh, Matinee in 1993, uh, Small Soldiers in 1998, and Looney Tunes back in action in 2003. Looney Tunes back in action, that's the one with Brendan Fraser? I think so. Yeah. That was funny. Uh, Matinee was with John Goodman. It yeah. was a really great movie about... The era of drive-in movies and, oh, and B-movies right. where they had the gimmicks. Of yeah, like the, the rumbles and the, the rumble seats and, and the, the shock seats. smells, yeah, and stuff. Smell-o-vision. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. I was going to say, I don't think I've seen that, but now that you say that, I'm pretty sure I have. It was really good. Yeah. Uh, and I actually really enjoyed Small Soldiers. It oh, was, yeah. It was entertaining. Yeah. yeah. They, I saw some concept uh, short about a, a sequel or a re- oh, yeah? imagining or reboot or something, and it looked really cool. Cool. I, 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 Joe Dante is just such a solid director. I, Mostly. Well, he learned from this. He learned from this. Let's <laughs> hope so. He couldn't have made anything worse. Uh, Picardo appeared in 15 episodes of The Wonder Years and 54 episodes of China Beach, but is perhaps best known as the emergency medical hologram on Star Trek Voyager, appearing in 166 episodes, as well as the feature Star Trek First Contact and an on, on an episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. He was beloved. Yeah. Picardo can most recently be seen in an episode of NCIS, an episode of the new Quantum Leap, and on in the an animated Star Trek Prodigy. Oh, what was he on Quantum Leap? Uh, I missed he him. He was in the first season, I believe. Oh. Um, Wish I would have had God, my I peepers out for remember. Picardo. My I don't Picardo remember peepers. Now. I don't remember. I'll look it up. Uh, Karen Mayo Chandler was cast as Carla. Uh, Mayo Chandler was a model, appearing in Playboy in 1989. Okay. Uh, she had a small role in Beverly Hills Cop. She appeared in a number of B-movies, and her career never really took off. Unfortunately, she was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2005. And Aww. she died in 2006 at the age of 48. She was Starkiller's girlfriend. That's, okay, yeah. sorry, yes, thank you. Um, that is, yeah, that's sad. That's sad. A lot of real tragedy yeah, in this movie. Yeah, oh, a lot of tragedy in this movie, yeah. Uh, Dick Miller was cast as Charlie Drake. Dick Miller, I love uh, Dick Miller. Yet another character in this movie that seemed like he was going to have some kind of payoff in Act 3. I am 100% positive that there was a whole yeah. uh, B story with Dick yes. Miller because... Yes. He had the dreams, too. Yeah. The, fa- the last shot of him is, could be the end of the movie where they're flying away and he's looking because you think he's going to go, like, bust those kids. And he's just like, good on you. Good on go, you, kid. kids. Yeah. Way like, go, it's kid. like, you did it where I couldn't do it, kid. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like yeah, they, they have, give him, like, two seconds of being kind of a hard-ass cop who discovers the spaceship with right. his helicopter, he and Meshach Taylor. <laughs> um, strange combo. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then it's just like. And it's also, I don't think Dante was knew whether he wanted him to be comic relief or a big part of the story. Because it's like when he's right. finding the kids, he, d- he falls down, but he gets back up. But he's yeah, not, yeah. You know, it's it's not the character from Gremlins who's like a crazy no. conspiracy theory guy. Yeah, yeah. Crazy vet, yeah. But yeah, I think we'll get to it. Because in my version of this movie, his character plays a bigger, much oh, bigger yeah, part. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, he should, yes. He, Miller worked with Joe Dante a lot as well, appearing in Gremlins, Gremlins 2, The New Batch, and The Burbs. 
Uh, he also made appearances in... Piranha, The Howling, A Bucket of Blood, The Little Shop of Horrors, Not on This Earth, Chopping Mall, Night of the Creeps, The Terminator, Small Soldiers, and Quake. Yeah. We, we've talked about Dick Miller before, so... if you, Actually, Gremlins, too, if you really want to know more about Dick yeah. Miller. Listen to that episode. But, again... A super solid. He's such a good actor, character and, actor, and again, also, it's like the, the he had such a small arc in this movie. Yeah, but I wanted to see more of that. Exactly, like that's he, the testament to he's such a good actor. How watchable and likable he is is yeah. like, and also it's it, it didn't help matters any that he was just ancillary, like had the exact same experience. Yeah, but oh, that doesn't matter. As Ethan Hawke. Yeah, it, it just it was it just so. Was, it, I don't think they had enough. They didn't have enough to cut him out. It's like, well, we need him to discover well, the yeah, thing. Well, yeah, because how else, how else are they going to, yeah. If they just shot themselves yeah, in the foot so many times. so mad. <laughs> uh, Meshach Taylor was cast as Gordon Miller, uh, the other uh, pilot, co-pilot of the, the helicopter. The co-pilot, yeah. The co-pilot. Uh, Taylor is best known as Anthony Bouvier on the CBS sitcom Designing Women from oh, yeah. 86 to 93, for which he was nominated for the Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Comedy Series. Did he win? Uh, I don't believe he did, no. But I do not know who won over him. He was beloved. He was also known for his portrayal of Hollywood Montrose, a flamboyant window dresser in the 1987 film Mannequin, and its 1991 sequel. Mannequin, the first one, is a guilty pleasure. 100% guilty pleasure. Kim Cattrall. so not a good movie. No, but Kim Cattrall is so charming in it. And then and then, Mannequin 2 was just bad. Oh, my God. Mannequin just 2. awful. Mannequin 2. Piece of poo. I think that was the name. <laughs> that was, that was the, the tagline. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he made his feature film debut in 1978 with Damien, The Omen 2. Uh, Taylor has also appeared in 97 episodes as a main character on the sitcom Dave's World, airing from 1993 to 97. Dave's about World. columnist Dave Barry starring Harry Anderson. Oh, right, yeah, right. Yeah, I remember Dave Barry. <laughs> That's another one of those, like... Where did he go? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure Dave Barry's probably dead now. But that was a weird, I remember that show being on. It was a weird show. Uh, his last role was a two-episode guest stint on Criminal Minds in 2014. Yeah, he was really good. I remember that. Uh, Taylor died of colorectal cancer on June 28th, 2014, at the age of 67 at his home in Altadena, California. Ugh. Again, tragic. What a horrible way to go. Uh, he also, because of designing women and mannequin, people thought he was super gay. Yeah. And he was not. He got married and had kids. Actually had four grandkids by the time he oh, died. Oh. So. Okay, so now we're going to get into why the third act was such crap <sighs> and an awfulness. Uh, unfortunately, there were a lot of issues that did not set up Explorers for success. Dante said... The studio changed hands in the middle of production, and they decided they needed uh, the movie much quicker than we thought. So we shot the picture under very hurried auspices. The paint on the sets was literally wet, and when the kids stepped into the spaceship, they sunk into cement because it wasn't dry. Everything was rushed on this movie. Which rushed, rushed, rushed. It never works. Yes. Hey, surprise. That's not how you make a movie. During the dreams when the children fly over the circuit board, some of the camera angles and moves were, are meant to mimic the flight to Neverland from Peter Pan. Yeah, I, I which can see that. I could see that, but also it doesn't really go anywhere in the movie. Who it's just cares? them having dreams. Yeah. I mean, it, when Robert Picardo was in full makeup and costume as the aliens, Wack and his father, his mouth was the only part of him not completely covered, though his mouth was made up to blend into the faces of the creatures. No, the creatures were the animatronics and the eyes and the flippity floopity. Yeah. Very impressive. But extremely off-putting. They didn't... Uh, they were so weird. It, it looks, just was not... It felt totally out of tone with the rest of the movie. Joe Dante directed a part of the Twilight Zone movie. 
He yes. directed the one about the kid that could send people to the cornfield. You remember yeah. that most one of the most uh, one of the most known episodes yeah. of yeah. the Twilight Zone. And he, it was a uh, he. Joe Dante loves the Looney Tunes, loves yeah. cartoons, just like me. The creatures from the Explorers look like they were a couple of suits they had laying around from the Twilight Zone. It yeah. was the same yeah. kind of weird. It was just odd. Yeah, I, I mean that wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, Probably uh, the same guy. Uh, Rob Botton, uh, who worked on the thing in Robocop, did the makeup effects. So he, I, I don't know if he created those suits or if he did the, you know, but it was him. Rob Botton is a f- fascinating. Oh, yeah. He worked on everything. The suits are incredible. Yeah, I mean, they looked great. They just were in the wrong movie. And they just were too weird. I mean, they, they were looked, weird. Yeah, yeah it just wasn't. It, it, it the, the movie just shifts so hard. In Act Three, they fly past the moon, and then all of a sudden they're in this. They're flying into a giant penis ship, and it's like, what is going on? Yeah, there's a there's like ten minutes of them exploring like weird sets. That it's like, oh, this is the we, and then and then they show up, and there's just these two like weird alien rubber things. Why, why, why didn't they greet them? Why did they have them go do a, a Mario style platforming? And why adventure? Why did Wolfgang Mueller suddenly want to start screwing this alien? Like and it made they no got sense. Separated. They did. It's oh, just the whole thing no was sense. garbage. It didn't make any sense. Uh, Industrial Light and Magic was responsible for the special effects, which required six million dollars of the twenty to twenty-five million dollar budget. The effects were fine. The screener that we watched was either like too fast or something. It just had this weird effect. I don't. I don't think that the ten eighty transfer was done well. No. I, I think that's the problem. Nobody I, gives a F. No. Like, who's going to buy this piece I mean, of are you surprised? <laughs> it's like someone's going to go, we should spend $4 million up, upgrading and, and helping exploits. No, they don't care. But the effects, I mean, the ball going through stuff. The, balls, the ball really effect good. was really cool. Yeah, and all the practical effects were yeah. done really well. Yeah. Uh, Dante said, We came up with sort of a pop culture angle on it that we thought would be funny. Audiences didn't particularly. Yeah, if the pop culture angle is that there's an alien that just quotes crap, nobody wants to see that. Two teenage aliens who do nothing but watch television. F you. The film contains various references to science fiction features, new and old, and much more when the children meet the aliens. When the boys are hovering over the drive-in, the film that is playing stars a space hero named Starkiller, named after George Lucas's original last name for Luke Skywalker. Very funny. And the sound effects from the movie are from the Atari video game Yar's Revenge. Again, great Easter egg. Funny. This is Joe Dante. This is Joe Dante being the best Joe Dante. Uh, Hawk's character Ben is obsessed with aliens and movies surrounding them, and the two movies he watches during the film are This Island Earth and The War of the Worlds. Yes. Which he leaves on in the middle of the night. <laughs> with, like, he's Screaming an 80-year-old loud. man yeah. with no hearing. It's just <laughs> so loud. And his mom comes in, and she's like, what are you doing? Yeah. Uh, the children attend the... Charles M. Jones Jr. High School, which I loved. Yeah, Chuck Jones, it was named after Looney Tunes director Chuck Jones. Listen and, to our Chuck Jones episode. Yeah, please do. And Whack the Alien's first exchange of dialogue is of Bugs Bunny's famous catchphrase. Yeah, with zip that. The song Whack performs for the kids is Little Richard's All Around the World. Uh, one character is a pet rat trained to use a voice synthesizer named Heinlein, which is named after Robert Heinlein, who is a 50s sci-fi writer. Wait, what? Robert Heinlein? No, no, I know that, but yeah, there was, didn't you hear the rat? There was a rat at the beginning. There's a rat that talks. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Rat. Okay, okay. Near the very beginning. I thought you meant on right. a spaceship. No, when they first go down. Yeah, no, no, yeah, and they had the yeah, little things yeah. to push. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Dante and his editing team submitted a rough cut by the late spring of 1985, but Paramount wanted to take advantage of the busy summer market. Of course. 
Uh, the cut they actually, I don't think I included this, but the cut that they uh, submitted was three hours and 15 minutes long. F you, man. Could you imagine? that They would be using that in like Guantanamo Bay yeah. to torture people. Yeah. Uh, they had obviously a lot more editing to do. Uh, they changed the initial release date. The executives changed the initial release date of late July, late August to early July. Dante said, They said, just stop editing the picture. We're going to put it out, and we got a perfect date for it, and we know it'll make a lot of money. Wow, that sounds just like an executive. Uh, there was about an hour and a half worth of footage that was left on the cutting room floor. Dante said, There was a lot of spiritual kind of stuff in the movie that didn't make it in at all. There was a theory that was around at the time about the world mind, and it was a concept that I thought was interesting. We started to get into it, and there was no way to make any sense out of it, so we just dumped all that, and now the only picture or the theory is even mentioned is Exorcist 2, unfortunately. <laughs> what? <laughs> Exorcist 2 covers this whole world mind uh, concept of, like, learning things and then someone else learns right, things. Right, right. It, it's a, it's yeah. like a conscious uh, – we're, we're, we're all related – on a subconscious level, and yeah. we can learn by osmosis. Almost. Yes, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Which, is, which makes sense with this movie and them learning about how to, to make this sphere that flies things around, you know, and him doing the circuit board and all that stuff. Like, that's what, what they were going for. A lot more interesting than yeah. a teenage aliens popping it in the brains. Uh, sequences had to be redubbed, including one near the end where the boys are under a tree to give the film a sense of closure. Hey, we're under a tree. Let's go home. I think it good, was the, good job, guys. I think it's when it was raining. I, I think it was that was a scene that was not supposed to be on the movie. Yeah, with the wolf gang in his trench coat. I just oh love him so like, much. Yeah, he looked like <laughs> a little spy. Uh, in the drive-in scene of the young couple, the boy who calls the special effects fake is supposed to be Ben's brother. Uh, he's hanging out with a girl, trying to get it all on with the girl. Yeah, that actor was in a ton of stuff, too. Yeah, he was Always playing the nerd. Yeah. Uh, Dante says... There's a whole family subplot that is completely missing. Yeah, all of them, <laughs> all the families. Except for Wolfgang. Yeah, but even then, like, there was much more you could explore there. Sure. Uh, the character Gordon Miller was also supposed to return in the third act. Uh, that was the uh, Meshach Taylor, or, or, yeah, I think it was Meshach Taylor supposed mm-hmm. to come back. Yeah, he's Gordon Miller. Uh, Explorers were released on, uh, so yeah, it, the whole thing is that it was just a mess. It right. was a mess. Yes. It needed more editing, it needed more work, and instead they just said, no, we're gonna, we have a perfect date for it. Just put it, push, put the damn thing out. So their perfect date for releasing this movie was July twelfth, nineteen eighty-five, being released in seventeen hundred and fifty theaters, which just happened to turn out to be the same weekend as when the Live Aid concert was being broadcast. Okay. Uh, it, now, granted, I understand that movies are great and movies are important, but the Live Aid concert was a weird phenomena. It was aired on TV for like forty hours. Yeah, that was, and it drew yeah. like a hundred million viewers. Yes, still we. Mainly had three networks. Yeah. And I think this it was, was on MTV or something. It was right? a thing for, I think it was also MTV, but they yeah. did parts of it on primetime. Oh, yeah. And like, it was huge. But it wasn't, so, honestly, not the best choice to release a feature film that probably wasn't very good during that weekend. Yeah. Uh, Back to the Future had also opened the previous week on July 3rd, a Wednesday, and dominated the entire summer. Yeah. Uh, Explorers suffered badly its opening weekend and afterwards quickly disappeared. By the end of its run in theaters, it earned just under $10 million. Got my five bucks. Uh, When the Los Angeles Times compared the film with other commercial failures that summer, a Paramount executive responded, It was a wonderful piece of material. By the time it came out, you felt as though you'd already seen it. What? What? How do you... It's not a wonderful piece of material. No, it's not. It needed more work. It's not. Maybe it's a wonderful concept. 
Uh, many of the international markets released the film later in December of the same year. <laughs> yeah, that uh, helped. Which I, yeah, I mean, I don't think they worked on it anymore. So, I mean, it's not like there was an international version. The film fared better in video rentals and cable broadcasts and garnered positive reviews from critics. Oh. I know. Kevin Thomas of the LA Times said, Explorers itself is bubble thin, but it glides by gracefully on the charm of its three young heroes and their vividly envisioned adventure in space. Did you see what he did there? Bubble thin and gliding? Because mm-hmm. of the movie? Yeah, they it's had clever. bubbles, the bubble in the movie? I hate reviewers like that. Yeah, Kevin Thomas. Uh, Janet Maslin said, Of all the Spielberg-inspired fantasy films afoot at the moment, Explorers is by far the most eccentric. It's charmingly odd at some moments, just plain goofy at others. Yeah, you're literally just describing the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, over time, Explorers has gained a cult following among fans of Dante's work, as well as science fiction fans and those who feel it is an overall family-friendly film. Well, they're not wrong about that. Yeah, yeah. I could see if you're a huge, like, Dante head, that, like, it's like, oh, yeah, it's not one of his better movies, but there's still quality. Well, it's got a lot of what Dante heads love, which is the sci-fi stuff, and those goofy goofball puppet costumes are yeah. very in line with all of the other goofy goofball puppet things that yeah. they do, like yeah. the gremlins, gremlins or, and in, uh, or small soldiers or uh, the Twilight Zone. It's yeah. just he's yeah. got this kind of look to it, but unfortunately that look was completely yeah, yeah. Dante reflected on the film by saying that he is appreciative of the warm reception it has earned over the years, but continued by saying, The problem is for me is that the movie you'll see is not the movie I wanted to make. It's the movie I got to make up to a certain point and then had to stop. It's hard for me to look at it because it's not the film I quite had in mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the film that anybody had in mind. <laughs> Uh, the missing and cut scenes are presumably lost as Dante tried searching for them in recent years. Ben was just like, ah, eh, F it, I don't care. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he like went through two boxes and was like, ah, that's enough. He's like, I got a closet with 18 boxes. Look through two. I'm yeah. good. Uh, who cares? Uh, according to The Hollywood Reporter in 2014, Paramount was developing a remake of Explorers through their now defunct low-budget label Insurge Pictures. Ugh, come on. Uh, Deadline reported in 2018 that Carrie Fukunaga and David Lowry are working on the pilot for a new adaptation of the film, and neither have gone anywhere. Yeah, because they're just like, okay, explores. And uh, now what? Nobody can figure out what to do with the third act. Okay. Except for us. Right. And here's the deal. So this is the way that I would have made this film. And then you can say the way that you would make this I film. I'll probably agree with you. <laughs> so the thing that you have is you have three great well, two great leads and a, uh, an okay lead. But they have an interesting family dynamic. Like, they could have played up Jason Preston's family's, you know, his dad being like a loser, alcoholic, and this stuff. Yeah. But, but, but they just completely discount all that by him saying, oh, my dad's a good guy. He's just unlucky. Okay, well, that, you know, so your home life isn't really that bad. No, no. And, you know, they could have had some sort of, you know, maybe parental uh, conflict with Ethan Hawke's parents. Yeah. And then maybe, you know, in the midst of the Mueller house, maybe Wolfgang is being overlooked. And maybe, you know, so you have these three damaged kids or these three misfits that come together and get this, you know, stumble upon however you want to do it with the mind thing or whatever, but get these 
uh, plans about building a spaceship. So they're building the spaceship. So they're getting this information. But they're going around, they're stealing stuff or whatever. So we have this shadowy figure played by Dick Miller, who is a sheriff, who seems to be investigating. Almost seems to be like, oh, is he the bad guy who's going to come after them? And so he's kind of dogging them. And then you have conflict with the families. You know, maybe Jason Preston's dad, like, does beats him or something, or, you know, he gets in trouble and he's, he can't help them anymore. And and so the, 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 you know, actual real conflict. Let's, let's put some conflict in this movie. Yeah. I know I'm against manufactured conflict, but some conflict. There's, there's easy ways you could organically make conflict. So the, the, the goal is to make the spaceship. It's the journey rather than the destination, right? right? right. And getting to get the spaceship and, and getting the information and finding everything and finally putting it together and finally putting it together. And they get to the point where they're, you know, we're getting to the climax of the movie. You know, the, there's familial stuff going on. And, you know, maybe one of the kids got arrested and just had to escape from juvie. I don't know. We got, you know, conflict. Yeah. And so they're coming together. They're finally coming to the uh, the launch date. You know, they've gotten everything together. They get him out. And they're just like, we got to get out of We just got to escape. Yeah. got to get out of here because our lives are pretty crappy. And we're going to go on an adventure. So they're almost there. They're almost there. They're just about to get to the ship. And then... Oh, here comes Dick Miller. And you think he's going to stop him. Oh, yeah. Because all the other cops are coming. Right. And he's, get in the car. Come on. And he gets in the car. They get in the car. And he's like, you know, when I was a kid. And he tells them the story of like how he wishes he he had all the information too. He and his friends. But they were too chicken to do it. And he really admires these kids for doing it. And he's going to help them get there. And he's driving. He's driving. And the cops are coming. You know, almost like the E.T. With the kids flying on the bicycles. The the thing that got the movie purchased in the first place. (laughs) That had nothing to do with the movie. So they finally get to the ship. They get on the ship. And at the last minute, badoosh, away from the families, away from the cops, away from the army, whatever it is. Yeah. The final shot of the movie is them in space, going through space, and then one of them says, where should we go? Yeah. And then that's it. Credits. I, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. The, the movie should be about the fact that them trying to go to space is an escape from their problem. Exactly. Like, that's... There has to be more conflict with the parents or with, you know, like there was, it's like, oh, the bullies, they're beating up Ethan Hawke sure. and like a Ben gets beat up and it's like, yeah, he just wants to get away. You yeah. want to escape. You yes. want to do this. You know, I mean, there could have been more with the girl and more of like, maybe she gives him a chance and then is like, well, you know, you just want to leave. Like, I, I, there's just so much, there's such a good seed of a movie there yeah. that just didn't happen. No, because it's so thin. It's one of the thinnest movies it ever. Just, oh my god! They cut all character development. They yeah. cut all conflict. They cut everything, and then it's the way that they set it up. Anything in the third act would have been disappointing because of all the buildup. But if you end with them going to space, then yeah. you set up a perfect sequel. Yeah, and the sequel could be or a series. Could be these kids going from planet to planet. Right. And, and right. what a fun... And I think this is basically the plot of the Acolyte, that new Star Trek show. Which oh, is really? A bunch of kids going from planet oh, to planet. Oh. With Jude oh, Law. Oh, the Star Wars show. Star Wars show, so, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. But, you know, it would have been really interesting to have almost a kid Star Trek kind of thing where, you know, yeah, these three yeah. goofy kids are, you know... Yeah, and, and they, they can come home whenever they want to. They can go back out. Like, it's not... It's There's so much more you could do if they just... Didn't have them leave and go to space in the movie. Or 
the destination, you know? I, the I, fact that they made it... They there just, was there was literally no reason to care about why these kids wanted to make the spaceship no. and, and go to space. No. And, and that, that showed in the third act with the fact that none of it mattered. Well, and also, the alien characters are awful. There's no character to them. No. There's a no. horny girl. Why are they there? Who wants to get it on with Wolfgang. <laughs> and then there's a... A, basically a stand-up comedian yeah, who's just yeah. doing bits and then singing. And then they're all like, okay, I guess we're into it. And he, but even Ethan Hawke is like, this is lame. Yeah. You know, yeah. why would they bring us that here? Was, this is lame. That was the best was that, oh, I was expecting more. Yeah. yeah. We all were. We, everybody was. And then when you're like, when, you, when the realization that they're just kids and the parent comes and chews oh. them out, it is embarrassingly awful. Grabbing his big old belly. It just goes on forever. Forever. And (sighs) there's no repercussions. I mean, you know, they just let them leave. It's not like the father. The father should have eaten them or something. This is why. So they get out. It's just like, I'm mad at you. And then and then the kids, the kid aliens are like, well, we should probably go. And then and And then the the lady aliens like take that. And instead of giving it to her boyfriend, you know, Wolfgang, she gives it to the kid that never even really talked to her. And it's here, take this magic and, thing. And, and at the end of it, they get back. They end up crashing into the ocean. Sinking their ship. Sinking the ship. It's a river. For, for some, whatever. <laughs> a body of water. Yes. It, it goes under the water. They don't have it anymore. Uh, but the girl, the, the love interest, the, the Ethan Hawke love interest, wakes up, somehow sees it and goes, <gasps> I should go down there. And then suddenly she's in their dreams too. And then Jason Preston's gone. Where did he go? Yeah, and that's like my favorite line in the thing where Ethan Hawke goes, Lori, you're dreaming, you're dreaming. Oh, my God. It's, it, it, they try to hold hands, and they hold hands, and he's all, and then, and then they look around, and there's Wolfgang. But where's, where's Jason Presson? I guess they couldn't get him for that, that last bit of work. God, I just I don't understand. None of it made sense. <laughs> None of it. And it is such a unsatisfying ending to an unsatisfying movie but what made me so angry is is when i saw it i really was into the first couple of acts i love movies where kids are doing something you know outside of the adult world whether it's yeah. a stephen king book yeah, you know where the yeah. kid like the talisman or something yeah. you know or it or you know E.T., where these kids have their own world that they're exploring right. away from the adults. But the problem is, is there was no, absolutely no conflict with that. There was nothing stopping them from doing what they want. Even yeah. the guard dog was like, he liked to chew bubble gum. It's yeah. just every he's, bit. He's weird. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Everything that could have added a little something to the story, they cut out. It was just. There's yeah. never been a more thin movie by Joe Dante. It's just like it's I, an anorexic film. Anorexic. I have never I mean at this point now, I have never seen a movie that's more disappointing than this movie. 100%. I I, I just there's such good potential yeah. and and I part of me is like please remake it, do a show, do something, do something and fix it so that people can see a good version of this. You do a show, the first season is making the ship. And, you know, you have eight episodes to really, you know, you don't make it dark 
and, and no. brooding, but you make it, you raise the stakes. Yeah, raise the stakes. That's you make a big the kids yeah. actual characters with kid yeah. problems and stuff. Yeah. You, 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 you focus on the bullying, you focus on the, the bad family life. And these kids, you know, it's an allegory for escape. It's like, it's like a better version of that horrible uh, Dick uh, Donner movie, American Flyer. No, oh, yeah, yeah. The most ham-fisted <laughs> abuse story ever. Right, like, right. I have never seen a worse movie. You know, the way that the beer yeah. opens there. Yeah. Oh, daddy's got bad, bad juice. <laughs> and then, you know, <laughs> and then we're going to make a flyer. And I, I feel badly saying that because I know <laughs> I had friends that were working for them at the time when they made yeah, it, yeah. and it was like their passion I, piece because, I, you know. You can't, you can't be 100% all the time. <laughs> but that's... You need if you mush these two horrible movies together, yeah. maybe you get one good movie. I there's there's definitely something there. Uh, anyway, that's that's so, that's all I got. Haterade number hate, one. This is still hate it. Definitely yes. I I actually did not hate it before I watched it this time. <laughs> now I kind of do. Uh, but definitely it's worth seeing yes. because it is a good example of how not to make a movie. Well, it's also fun to see. River Phoenix. Oh, he's so playing good something in this. that he's never played before. It's great to see Jason Presson. Oh, he's so good. It's fun to watch Robert Picardo. It's great to see James Cromwell playing a weirdo yeah. German with all a really they, bad and accent. Although they have no screen time. Like, for this movie being almost two hours long, all these great actors have no screen time. We're not recommending you watch this movie because it's good. Well, yeah. Number, uh, number one, you got to actually find the movie. <laughs> which don't don't bust your back doing yeah. it. It's definitely not worth the effort of. I mean, it was one of the hardest movies for us to watch to try to find oh it. God, I to try I, to stream it. To half a dozen different sources fell through. It was it yeah, was uh, it, it was tough. It, this one, so much effort for just such a bad movie. It was. <laughs> it's like it's almost embarrassing. But yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, verdict. Hate a raid. Yeah. So we'll be back next week with uh, what are we doing? Uh, next week we're doing Highlander. Oh, so, yeah. so super excited. You can hear how angry I can get. Now I'm excited for Highlander because I really did. It's a guilty pleasure of mine. A pl- guilty pleasure that I probably haven't seen since I was a teenager. Yeah. It's not the type of movie that, you know, the cult kind of thing yes. that I like to watch yeah. over and over again or I put in my collection. But I am curious to see it because I really liked it. Lambert is just one of the weirdest actors in the he world. Is. He is. And, uh, and Sh- Sean Connery playing uh, in. Egyptian Scottish Spaniard. I'm Spaniard. I'm from Spain. Or something. But he's Egyptian yes. in the movie. Yeah. yeah from, by way of Spain. <sighs> this is the accent you get if you're Egyptian and Spanish. He, and you don't look like either. He had a dialect coach. <laughs> Oh, man, that guy killed himself. He, uh, was a, he committed suicide <laughs> three days in. Uh, I, I will say the one caveat with Highlander coming up is that I did not see this movie until I was in my 30s. Okay, so well, that totally I, makes That tracks. I, but it's bad. But just like you seeing uh, the Transformers when you're older and hating it, maybe I'll come I, around to your side. Maybe yeah. Verdict Haterade. We'll have to see. So we'll join see. us next week it's to gonna, see. It's going to be too nostalgic. It's not going to happen. I don't know. Well, I, hey, I've grown up. Anyway, Explorers, crap. Watch it if you want. I don't give a crap. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you next week. So last week, it was a lot. I mean, Jesus Christ. So last month, they loved movies about...
the Pizza Boy. Yeah, the Pizza Boy Gigolo, which I don't remember the name of. With Kirstie Alley, like hot something and, lover, hot boy lover, or something. Uh, something, yeah, like hot boy lover. Hot boy lover. <laughs> <laughs> pizza boy lover. Yeah, hot pizza lover. I, anyway. Whatever it was. Yeah, but it. He. <laughs> he was, he's had a career. Uh, he will soon be soon on the. He will soon be soon. Soon be soon. He will soon be seen. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming, Freaky and the Bee, already in progress. 